0: Good morning. You know, over the last few months, our church has been studying the book of Matthew. And today we get to hear from chapter 10. Matthew's just given a summary of what Jesus has done through preaching, teaching, and his ministry. And today we are invited to hear Christ's words to his disciples as they are prepared to go out and do God's work in this world. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, Search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will be not you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death. And a father, his child, children will rebel against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants to be like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight, What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward and whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward and if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple. Truly, I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Amen.
1: Well, that didn't feel like much of a Mother's Day reading, did it? You know, we wanted some pithy statements about mothers and their love for children today, so we chose Matthew 10. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not the reason we just read that passage of Scripture for you. And I think you'll understand more of that by the time we come to a close today. You'll understand why, frankly, that passage may have been one of the most important Mother's Day passages you've ever heard. So to help me explain that, let me start, o- start off by saying hello to each of you here in the West Auditorium and also to everybody in the East Auditorium. I'm very glad you're part of the uh, congregation of First Christian Church today, and I'm looking forward to spending some time in scripture with you. My name is Wayne, I'm part of the pastoral team. I'd invite you to take a Bible please this morning and turn to the passage that Leslie's, well, in, in the West Auditorium, Leslie's read it, read it, Kim has graciously read it for us in the East Auditorium. Would you turn to Matthew chapter 10 for me? If you don't have a Bible, I'd love for you to grab one from the rack or from one of the ones in the East Auditorium that people are moving about the room, giving them to you right now. Take it home as our gift to you, all right? As you're, um, as you're doing that, I, I'd like to kind of explain Matthew 10 by, I've got a number of things I want to kind of add up and then see if we can't tie them all together. So here's the first thing that I want to add, have you to put, put on your, you know, in your head, okay? By, I want to start by asking you, when you see a McDonald's sign and there's the arches, what we say they are, the what? The golden arches, because they're yellow, right? Are they always gold? Are they always yellow? Can I tell you they're not? What? They're not. Well, I wanna explain that to you uh, by adding something else to put on your plate to think about and spin for a few minutes. And that is, this past week, uh, on Monday, we had our Serve Together celebration, just celebrating all the people who do volunteer ministries in the church and outside the church, and um, so, in that celebration, uh, Josh Koskinen acted, it was, Josh, it was the Tonight Show starring Josh Koskinen, and it was hilarious. We had a great time, and in the process, I got some gifts, including this apron from McDonald's. And the reason they gave, I mean, frankly, they took the mickey out of me all night long, or they'd made fun of me all night long, okay? Do we say that? Took the mickey? No, that's Australian, isn't it, right? Okay? So they gave me this because I like McDonald's Diet Coke. Anyone else like? I think it's the best Diet Coke ever, right? Ever, ever. As a matter of fact, it's so good. When we get to the marriage feast of the Lamb in heaven, they're serving McDonald's Diet Coke. That, none of that nasty coffee stuff. None of that, no. McDonald's Diet Coke, Okay. And so uh, they gave this to me. As a matter of fact, maybe you would like to to help you catch up. Watch the screens and you'll see a little bit what happened during the volunteer, during the um, Serve Together celebration this past week. So it was a great time. A couple of things I want to tell you about that. First of all, that hey, 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 okay, I played in the band for that. I've played a lot of music in my day. That's incredibly difficult music, it sounds, sounds really, hey, 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 it's really hard. So congrats to the band for making that work, because I've seen a lot of charts, but that, the, long story. Secondly, you saw perhaps the telephone booth out here where various people were invited to, well, the first person who was put in the booth was our own mayor, Mayor Julie Moore. Oh, and um, so I, I um, and I was one of the last to get put in the telephone booth, so she's back in there squished like that, and everybody was taller than her, and so as I come out, I don't see where the mayor is, and I go in the, in the booth, and she's in the very back corner about, I could see this, her eyes, this much, and they were as big as saucers, like, I don't know that when they voted me in, I was going to do this, all week long, I've been emailing her, hey, Julie, thank you so much, and she's coming back with all this wonderful, it was a great time, so Next, next year, make certain you're serving on a serve together group and you'll get to come. It was a wonderful time. But you're saying, okay, that's great. That's what happened. What about the apron and what about the golden arches? Are they always gold? No, they're not. As a matter of fact, let me tell you a story about that. If you take a drive up the West State Route 98A in Arizona, past the city of Sedona, you come across all the sorts of familiar signs that you see in cities all across America. You see a Walmart, a Walgreens, you see a Starbucks, Safeway, so forth, a Wells Fargo Bank, and so forth. And, you know, those kind of brands are all throughout every city in the country. And then you get to McDonald's, and it's not the normal McDonald's. Here's why when McDonald's approached um, the city, they said, well, we want to build this McDonald's here. We put a store here. And you know, the city of Sedona has this backdrop of these outcroppings of red sandstone. And the city officials said, well, we would love to have you come to town, but there's no way we're gonna let that yellow compete with the beauty behind us. So with that, the company agreed. And instead of the typical yellow and red look, you know what they have? They have blue teal McDonald's. And today, people go, come all around the country so they can do selfies in front of these blue non-golden arches, all right? And I, I like the story because it points out how that sometimes something that can be glaring and really, you know, really seen very well, it can be shifted and changed so that it fits in with the landscape, and so that it blends in with the surroundings around what's going on there. It makes me wonder, though, as I was preparing this message and heard that story, I began wondering, is that a good metaphor for Christians on mission? Should we just blend in? Should we we'd be in a situation where people kind of just let us care? Jesus said we're supposed to be a city on a hill, okay, so it's seen easily. We're supposed to be salt of the earth where we can be tasted, that we're to be the light of the world. And are we supposed to do that by blending in? Well, according to Matthew 10, apparently not. It doesn't go that way. We're continuing today this long walk through the biography of Jesus that's called Matthew. And last week, as we came to an end of all of this, of chapter um, 9, Jesus had said this, "I, I want you to pray, he says to his disciples, I want you to pray, ask the Lord of the harvest, to send out workers into his harvest field because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And as we're making this walk through Matthew, this really is the turning point in the book. At the end of chapter 9, going into chapter 10, where this business, do we get to blend in or do we have to stand out? Because right here at the end of chapter 9, going into chapter 10, the book shifts up until this point. Jesus has had some some personal ministry with one-on-one with people. But then Matthew 10 has Jesus sending his workers directly out into the field. It's almost like they get set up. Hey, disciples, will you pray that some people will go out and spread this message? Yeah, we'll pray. Oh, by the way, now that you've prayed, we want you to know you're the answer to the prayer. It sort of goes that way. And so what you have is this turning point in the story. Jesus' ministry shifts from his personal ministry work to a new ministry role for his followers. And... Apparently, if you read chapter 10, it's not going to be easy. They don't get to just blend in with the backdrop. And today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is where your responsibility comes into play. You don't get to be a pew potato. You can be a couch potato at home, but you don't get to be a pew potato when it comes to serving Jesus Christ. There's a task for you. You recall that a number of months ago, as we started this uh, whole series on Matthew, that we d- I remember we did a video that had all kinds of graphics in it, and we gave you, and one of the things we said was that Matthew would show how Jesus' ministry would transform the hearts of his followers and bring God's blessings to the nations over a long period of time. And the only way that was going to happen is if Jesus' ministry went from one person, him doing it, where he alone was touching people, to where his followers begin to touch other people. And... That's what we are charged with that responsibility. Therefore, if Jesus' message is going to bless all the nations, it's going to have to happen through us. And frankly, this is where I suspect this is truly a great passage for a Mother's Day sermon. See, on Mother's Day, we, we like these lovely, pithy kind of hallmark moments, don't we? Legitimately so. But this passage isn't a hallmark card in any way. But it does describe. The work of every Jesus follower. And it shows how those followers are to work in the same way that a mother's work takes place. The mothers we admire are the women who do their jobs regardless of how people perceive or respond to what, I mean, they don't, m- mothers who are great really don't care if their children like what they're doing or not in some ways, right? That's not a popularity contest, you know, you know. We, we, we admire mothers who act without worrying about the difficulty or the popularity of the task. You say you don't like vegetables, tough, eat them. That's never a popular moment, right? You say you need a ride down the block, you can walk, it'll be good for you. You're 18 and you say you don't want to enter enter into the adult world, tough, tough. You know how to do your laundry, you know how to cook, you know how to drive a car, have a lovely life. Right? Now, maybe they don't say it like that, but we admire the kind of women that say, you know what? I'm not in a popularity contest. I'm not fading into the background. I'm your mother. Apparently, that's how Jesus' followers are to act as well. See, we said two weeks, many weeks ago that there were two responses to how people, if Jesus' day would respond to his message, that some would accept it. And others would, be, would say, no, I'm not interested. And they would actually persecute his followers. And the ancient world is no different than our present-day world. First century, Jesus' followers set, discovered that some accepted and that some rejected and that some even persecuted the followers. In our day and time, particularly here in North America, we're in a situation where some people accept the story of Jesus and our message and others reject it. When we get rejected here in North America, usually we just get rejected to the point where people are rude. Fair enough. But some of the rejectors in other cultures outside of North America or outside the Western world, they go beyond rude to actually persecuting our brothers and sisters in Christ. There, the persecution moves through, if you will, the scale from, okay, we just don't like you, to then there's some economic and cultural bias against Christians, to, you know, imprisonment, to beheadings and execution. In some places, it's a very, it's a very dangerous situation to serve Christ. But did you notice Jesus said, oh, yeah, it might be dangerous. But despite the danger, Jesus said, go. There wasn't any option. Well, just because it's dangerous, stay at home. No. He said, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to wear the apron. The followers of Jesus in this 21st century are no different. We are now called to be his hands and his feet, his voice, regardless of the danger or the struggle. But apparently there are some dangers. I mean, look at the passage again. I want you to open your Bible again to Matthew chapter 10. And I want you to see what some of, the, some of the things that Jesus talked about. And I don't know for certain if he's speaking of hyperbole. It feels like a little bit of that to us here in, in Western culture. But you go read this in Syria to Christians right now, and it sounds really familiar to them. But nonetheless, I, I would suggest let's look at a few of the things that Jesus said. And I'll pull, pull out some verses. And on a scale of 1 to 10... 1 being, I don't really like this, to 10 being, this is really grand. Figure out if or not we like this, okay? Where, where would we land on that scale? For example, look at verse 7. As you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Oh, you know, I kind of like that. As a matter of fact, I really like that. I like the fact that God's kingdom is coming, and that if... Okay, so on a scale of 1 to 10, is that bad news or good news? I'm saying that's really, really good news. I'm saying, well, that's a 10. That's pretty good, all right? But who are we kidding? The rest of the chapter sort of goes downhill a little bit from there. Well, it goes downhill a lot. Verse 14. If anyone doesn't welcome you or listen to you or your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your... What do you mean? Some people... Not everybody's going to like me? Okay. All right, all right, I'm okay if everybody doesn't like me just because I'm a Christian. Because after all, still the kingdom of God is near. I'm still doing God's work and I'm not really into it for a popularity contest. So on a scale of one to 10, where are we? Well, God is still near the king, and so I can go with an eight. All right, so we're down to an eight. Verse nine. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey, extra shirt, sandals, or staff. I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not liking this now. I, don't, I love the fact that the kingdom of God is near. I love the fact that I'm his messenger. I'm a sort of, I can get by the fact that not everyone's going to like me. But you know, if I'm, if I'm going somewhere, if I'm doing something for God, if I've got a project, I like to have the resources of all of heaven backing me up. In other words, if I'm going somewhere, I want to pull the suitcase right behind me. And he says, don't get the suitcase. Oof. Okay, God's still near. I'm still alive. Okay, on a scale of 1 to 10, maybe 3, right? I'm still on the plus side. Still on the plus side. But what about verse 17? Let's say verse 16, okay? Let's go there first. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. What? <laughs> what? Wolves and sheep don't get along. Usually, Usually, who wins? The wolf. I'm not liking that at all. Uh, It doesn't sound like fun. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being really good and 1 being bad, this is about a minus 7. All right, keep reading in there. Verse 17, be on your guard. Why? You'll be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. What? What? First of all, I'm going to be like a sheep among wolves. And now before I get to the wolf, you're going to take me to some flogging event in a synagogue? I'm not into flogging in synagogues. I like following Jesus. I like telling people about him. I like being the, the cup of cold water or never. But flogging in synagogues? No. On a scale of 1 to 10, that's about a minus 20. Not fun at all. Verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death. What? And a father is child. Children rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Well, that's a lovely Mother's Day passage. <laughs> Verse 37 carries on just this lovely hallmark, pithy moment. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter. I don't get this. So I get to follow Jesus. I get to tell people about him. I might get flogged in synagogues. And along the way, I have to hate my mother and father. I'm not into that. It's almost as bad as flogging. But not quite as bad. So a scale of 1 to 10, minus 15. Don't love your parents? Minus 15. Verse 38. Verse 38. Whoever doesn't take up their cross and follow me is not worth it. Take up a cross. The only people I know who take up a cross are people who are going to get executed. They're about to die. Okay, if I die without the flogging, it's probably not something I'm looking forward to. I'll be on the minus side. I'll say minus five, something like that. At, at least it's not flogging. It's only dying on a cross. You say, Wayne, that's not very funny. Well, is the passage, is it? Because why is Jesus talking like this? Because, friends, following Jesus is not a game. It's not for wimps or sissies. Following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. Following Jesus is not for someone who cannot stand firm to the end. Following Jesus means work, it means lots of work. It means working in serve-together groups. Yeah, we can celebrate it, but it means lots of work. Why? We serve, and we wear aprons. Jesus said, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Why did he say that in Matthew 10, verse 42? Did you see it there? Because we give cups of cold water. We serve, we work. We're not pew potatoes. Because following Jesus is only for those who will take on challenges. Following Jesus is only for those who will stand firm to the end. Following following Jesus is for those who will say, I can manage the struggle and I can manage the call to personal growth. Following Jesus is for those who can die to themselves. Following Jesus is for those who want to see the blind see. Following Jesus is for those who want to see the sick healed. Following Jesus is for those who want to see the demonic freed. Following Jesus is for those who want to see the dead brought back to life. Following Jesus is for those who want to see the kingdom of God brought near. I would think that here in our congregation at this moment, there are plenty of people that say, I want to follow Jesus to that end, and even if it ends up minus 20, I'm okay, because I'm following Jesus. How do I do that? Well, I, As I've been working on this, I've had you know, dozens of ways in which to do it. Time won't let us take on a, about three dozen, unless you really want to skip that Mother's Day's brunch. But no, let me give you just a few ways in which we can follow Jesus in a culture that often does not appreciate his followers. Yes, we live in the Western world where we're not persecuted per se, but who are we kidding? Being a Christian isn't always that popular. How are we gonna do that? How are we gonna follow Jesus and be his hands and feet and voice? Well, first of all, choose a life orientation pointed toward a vibrant Christian spirituality. Notice I said Christian spirituality. Not some, well, I'm just a spiritual person. Well, so what? It doesn't help the world. A follower of Jesus Christ is someone who says, hey, My spirituality is based on something that costs something, namely the cross of Jesus Christ. And God's grace has been extended to me as a result of nothing I did. Somebody else paid a tremendous price for me. That sort of spirituality, based on the work of Jesus Christ, carries you past and through the difficulties of others not always liking you. Follow Christ by developing a vibrant Christian spirituality. Do it this way. Choose others before you choose yourself. It's very scriptural. There was once this time when, um, when Jesus was approached by some folk, and they said, okay, Mr. Spiritual, Mr. Maybe Son of God, tell us how we should love God. What should, what's the most important things we should do? And this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Start there. Love God. And then secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. Choose others before you choose yourself. Apparently, loving God involves choosing others before we choose ourselves. Loving God involves loving your neighbor. Are you doing that this week? If you don't have ways to do that this week or this month, look in your program. On the right-hand side, on the the flip side, on the, the flap that comes out, We picked five things that you could step into in 2017, this summer, okay? Just right now for the summer of 2017. And if you go on the website, they're all listed there with more details. And uh, you can find out how to get involved in that. Because you can choose others before you choose yourself. And to that end, if you're going to do that, then here's another way that you could follow Jesus in a culture that doesn't always appreciate his followers. Namely, choose a servanthood management of life resources a servanthood management of life resources. What on earth is that? Well, let me see if I can explain to you. So many of you know that um, last weekend I was out of town quite unexpectedly. Uh, long story short, my mother's been very ill. And honestly, the medical community said, you better come home. She had, they told us she had less than a 10% chance of surviving. She is doing very well, by the way. And I want to thank you for your prayers. And we've, you know, by your prayers and the help of the doctors up in British Columbia, We've pulled her back. Um, the, the, her lead physician said to my father just on Thursday, Wayne, three years ago, she wouldn't have survived. We have just have more technology and more know-how how to manage what's happened to her. So long story short, she's doing much better, and I thank you for both the time away to care for, deal with that and also for your prayers. But nonetheless, I was returning back home here from British Columbia just a couple of days ago, and as I was coming back, there's a um, I'm sitting in, a, in, a, in the plane where there's three seats in a row. And I'm in the aisle. There's a guy in the middle that's about 22, 23 years of age, recent graduate of university, who has graduated with a degree in business management. And sitting beside him is his brand new boss, a guy about 35 years of age. So a 20-something and a 35-year-old. And the boss is, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a clergy. That was the I never wanted to talk to me again. That was it. You know, clergy, well, the clergy know nothing about what we're talking about, apparently. But nonetheless, so I'm sort of in the conversation, but not. All right? So they're talk- he's got, the, the boss has got his iPad out, and he's shown all these graphs of what's going on in their factory floor and how they're going to fix things on the floor of the factory. And they were leaving, uh, on a, going on a trip from Vancouver, BC, out to Michigan to um, go to some conference on increasing productivity with management practices for the factory, whatever they were doing. And the boss says, and I'm listening in and kind of there, and the guy, the guy says, well, there's this new thing that's coming along in management that I hope we're going to learn a little bit about this week, but I don't know anything about it. It's called servanthood management. <laughs> I'm listening now. <laughs> he says, I-, I don't know what it means, but apparently something like this, that if you care for your workers on the floor... They're more willing to work with greater diligence and with greater excellence. So we've got to figure out what this servanthood management stuff is. And I'm going, hello, 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 it's not brand new. Ask me about it. No, clergy know nothing about management of servants, do they? (laughs) Sounds very biblical to me. It sounds like how Christians are supposed to act. And frankly, the business community is just catching up with something Jesus said 2,000 years ago. Love your neighbors yourself choose an approach to life that says, I'm going to have a servant management of all of my life resources. Thank you for being a congregation that continues to put that into play. Of all your life resources, the way in which we live our lives in our neighborhoods, the way in which we manage all of our resources, including our pocketbooks. Last week, you did this in an incredible way. We asked you to last, for the weeks leading up to last weekend to consider a servanthood management of your life resources and to help us fund our Global Missions Initiative. The goal was to raise, beyond tithes and offerings, $50,000 in one weekend. Can I tell you the results? The tithes and offerings were about double what they normally were for a week like that, which was stunning, because I expected them to kind of take a little bit of a dip if we're asking for some extra funds, right? That would be normal, right? The tithes and offerings were almost double what they were, and in addition to that, you blew way past $50,000, and you raised more than $61,000. Can I say thank you for that? I had a man come to me after the second service this morning and said, Wayne, I wasn't here last week. I've taken an envelope. I'm going to mail you $1,000. I would love to have more conversations like that yet today. <laughs> true. True. If you've not participated yet, there are envelopes in the pews and they are also in the East Auditorium. There are some in the seats you're sitting in. We'd be glad to have you. Well, here's what the deal is. That's not the $61,000. Here's what I'm aware of. That when we live out our lives with say, all that I have, God, is yours, then whether it's a struggle to live for Jesus and people don't like us or whether or not we get flogged. Please, God, not me, okay? I get it. But no matter how, I'm gonna say, all of my life is for you, God. That's how I'm managing my resources. That's how I'm wearing an apron. I'm serving people, and the good news, God has said, I'm not going to fade into the background. I'm going to do what you call me to do, and as I do that, I hope it makes a difference. As a matter of fact, you get past hoping it makes a difference. You begin to learn it does make a difference. I've got a great story in this regard that um, some of you may know, and uh, it, it focuses on what's happened in Yellowstone National Park in the last two or three decades. You may be aware that up until the mid-90s, Yellowstone Park was in desperate shape, that um, there was a lot of soil erosion, the animals were becoming ex- extinct, and uh, the trees, had dis- it was, it was a barren, becoming a barren place. And uh, the people who were in charge of that large ecosystem didn't know what to do. <clears throat> Along the way, uh, one of the things they thought, well, we can reintroduce some animals back in there and hopefully they'll flourish. And so the first thing they chose well, wolves. Now, I know we've just said that Jesus said you're going to be like sheep among wolves, but apart from them not always being great things for sheep to meet, something really cool happened when they introduced the wolves into Yellowstone Park. 1995, they put 14 wolves, shipped them in, and let them free. And wolves, the wolves did what wolves do. They began to hunt. They began hunting the deer, and so they culled the deer herd, Pretty quickly, and the deer who were living said, "There's wolves over there. We're not staying there. We're going over here." And as the deer moved over here, you know what happened over here where the wolves were? The vegetation started to grow, and as the population of the deer decreased, then trees which had not been around for years began to grow, and suddenly willow and and aspen trees began to grow, and well, that was really good news, because now without the deer eating all the ground cover all the time, it came. <coughs> But that's when the, excuse me, things really started to change because with the with the trees growing and the, be, the berries coming along, then um, yeah, maybe some water would be a good idea <laughs> Thank you. So the increased tree population caused the birds to come back, so um, pretty quickly, there were, you know, all kinds of different um, bird species. And you know what else came along? The beavers heard about it. The beavers heard that the trees were back. Now, I don't know how they got word. <laughs> I don't know what, who sent the memo. But somehow they said, hey, guys, there's trees over there. Let's all go over here. And so they went all over here where the trees were, and they started building dams. And when they started building dams, using a few of the trees, then the pools grew. And so with that came otters and muskrats, and the wolves also killed the coyotes, which brought more mice and rabbits to the population. That population grew. And now with trees, the birds began to come back. I don't know how they sent the word out. I would like to see these memos that went up, but nonetheless, the red foxes came back, the weasels, the badgers, which was all good news because hawks liked them, and hawks came back, and even eventually, you know what else showed up? Guess. Bald eagles. And say, oh man, this ecosystem is doing so well, because the wolves came along. Well, that's where it gets really interesting, because the wolves not only changed the ecosystem of all the animals and the vegetation, they actually changed the shape of the rivers. How? Well, when there hadn't been any vegetation, the rivers had wandered all over the place and they'd flooded all the time and the soil was always being eroded. But with the increased vegetation growth, the river banks were stabilized. The channels narrowed, more pools formed, the rivers stayed more fixed in their course. And so not only did the the wolves give Yellowstone its, if you will, its ecosystem a better balanced approach, they actually changed the park's physical geography. The park looks different today because the wolves were intru- introduced in 1995. Now, great story, but here's the point Jesus expected his followers to go in his name, excuse me, and he expected that as we go, we should be initiating change in the places where we go. And I'm not suggesting that we be wolves, <clears throat> we're sheep. I'm staying away from the wolves, but I'm suggesting, friends, that this week, who knows, your willingness to courageously go carrying a cup of cold water, your willingness to be a servant, it might just change the ecosystem in the place where you work, where you go to school, in the neighborhood where you live, or even in your family. Because I know the stories of a lot of families in this church. And in many of our families, there are places where the banks have overflowed with pain. And who knows? If we do this right, we might be able to contain the rivers of pain and direct those resources and all those lives, making them rivers of joy and abundance. So... Wear a servant's apron this week. See your world changed. And do your job regardless of whether not everybody likes it. And in the process, I'll say this. You'll act like a mother. And to that end, happy Mother's Day. Would you pray with me, please? God, for my friends, for my... Lord, for, for fellow messengers, for those, Lord... We call ourselves disciples, and we we have the responsibility to do what the disciples of Jesus did 2,000 years ago, to go and to um, carry the cup of cold water. And God, sometimes it's not easy. It's easier in our culture than other cultures, and we pray for, Lord, for those who, by carrying the name of Jesus, face beheadings. Hmm. God, bring grace into their lives. But Lord, in our situation, sometimes carrying the name of Jesus is just a matter of Unpopularity. Give us courage, God, to change the course of the rivers of people's lives. We don't want to just fade into the background. Oh, we don't want to be. Our goal is not to be obnoxious. Our goal, God, is to be a servant who carries a cup of cold water to all those who need a long, cool drink cold water, a balm, Lord, a soothing balm, an ointment over the painful sores of their lives. We'll take that on this week as, Lord, as our mission from you,
0: in Jesus' name, amen.